You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Marcus Chan, podcast manager at the San Francisco Chronicle, goes on the record about the future of the newspaper industry. I think that there will still be a newspaper 10 years from now, but I think the circulation of it will be, the numbers will be um, lower. (laughs) Um, I think the online operations will be subsidizing, I think, a lot of the print costs. I think it is that the balance is going to tip. The pendulum is obviously already kind of headed the other direction of of online. Um, I think people, um, you know, you hear these terms a lot, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. There's, you know, time shifting and space shifting. And I think people are going to become accustomed to getting their content, their tailored content, whenever they want it and wherever they want it. Thank you for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story through interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the business of media as we know it, and how that is, in turn, impacting popular culture. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, PR guy by day, podcaster by night, and I specialize in helping organizations reach online audiences. I am also the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation, and we have software for integrating marketing communications into uh, PR programs and marketing programs. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media, entertainment, and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Marcus Chan. He is, or I think he was formerly an assistant business editor uh, for technology at the San Francisco Chronicle. He is currently um, spearheading their podcasting initiative, which is quite aggressive. Uh, They have a number of uh, podcasts uh, underway, a variety of categories to choose from. Uh, They also have some blogs, but we spoke uh, primarily about the podcasts. Uh, if you are interested in subscribing to the program, uh, you can do that by um, going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com and uh, there are options for one-click subscription in iTunes, MyYahoo, um, FeedDemon, and other popular um, uh, podcatchers and RSS readers. Uh, if you're new to the show, um, we typically uh, do talk to people from the mainstream media. Uh, however, from time to time, we do veer off course and talk to uh, um, newsmakers, CEOs, bloggers, podcasters. And uh, there are a number of past episodes to choose from in the archives uh, that are all available for download. Um, 
If you have comments or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear on the podcast, I would really appreciate your feedback uh, on my blog. And that's www.spinfluencer.com, just like it sounds, S-P-I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E-R.com. You can um, post a comment. Please post comments uh, to the specific uh, item in the blog about the podcast. Of course, you can search the podcast by the name of the interview that, um, that, that you want to comment on. Or um, you can post suggestions of future people you'd like to hear on the, guest, uh, on the show. Or really anything, any feedback. Uh, really be very welcome. I appreciate your feedback. And uh, if you uh, want to send an audio comment, you can email that to spinfluencer at gmail.com. On the blog at spinfluencer.com, I have posted a a one-click to Podcast Alley where you can register a vote for this podcast. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you find it valuable, if you find it useful, we would appreciate your support uh, by voting at podcastalley.com. And uh, rather than having to go there and sort through uh, where we are and where the page is to vote, if you go to spinfluencer.com and just click on Vote for the Podcast in the upper right-hand corner, um, you can you can do that with one click. The other thing is we have a new logo for the show, and I'd be interested to hear uh, what you guys think of it. So um, any comments, you can register that uh, at the blog as well. Thank you so much for listening. Now we are going to play for you the interview with Marcus Chan. Uh, as always, it comes to you entirely unedited, uh, in its original form, raw and uncut, and we are going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Marcus, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, no problem. Hey, I was listening to a bunch of the podcasts um, before we spoke. You guys have quite a few of them now. Yeah, we've done over, I think, 250 so far. And they're broken down by different categories. I know there's a 49ers one. And tell us about the different um, categories of podcasts. Sure. We have about a, <clears throat> about a dozen different categories or different channels of podcasts. Um, as you know, the San Francisco Chronicle, it's a newspaper, and so we have sports section, business section, metro section, food section, wine section. So our thought was to really just start putting out content from all the different sections and kind of do a buckshot approach and throw it up against the wall and kind of see what sticks. So we have a 49ers podcast, a Raiders podcast. And initially those are doing pretty well, but of course (laughs) those teams aren't doing very well. Um, So interest has waned a little bit in those, but the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors are, are... a pretty strong team this year. We have a Warriors podcast, and that's gaining some traction. We have a Wine of the Week. We have a food podcast where uh, one of our columnists takes well-known chefs out to dinner or lunch, and she records that conversation. Uh, We have a channel called Backstory, which is a lot of fun. It's basically an occasion for editors and writers that kind of go behind the scenes and take listeners, uh, give listeners a background on the stories that are appearing on the paper and giving them additional kind of information or excerpts from the interviews. Um, And one really innovative channel that I'm enjoying a lot is 
audio tours. You know, San Francisco, one of the, the biggest industries is tourism. So it made a lot of sense to us that for visitors, why not experience our city through the people who bring you, uh, who produce the hometown paper. So we have audio tours where you can download us and you can experience the North Beach through one of our columnists. Or you could go to the new the Young Museum, which just opened up, and hear one of our art critics give his critique of a, of a gallery or our urban design writer talk about the architecture of the new museum. So now, what's kind of neat about that, too, is that one more thing is that we, we do enhanced podcasts, too, which allows, if you own an iPod that has a color display, you can actually see images uh, displayed as a podcast is playing. Tell me about that. How does that work? So basically, an enhanced podcast um, allows two things. It allows chaptering and images that can be displayed. So basically, I use a tool called I think it's called Chapter Tool Me. And after I'm done producing the regular podcast, you know, which is an MP3 file, I produce a second version of the podcast. It's an M4A file. And that allows me to break up a single podcast into as many chapters as I want. And with each chapter, I can embed an image. So if you're, say, at the museum and you're listening to our art critic give his critique of a gallery, you can see an image of the painting he's talking about, or the sculpture he's so talking cool. about, and it'll and it'll and it'll start scrolling through. So so this way, so it's one step above just a, your your audio tour that you know museums have been offering. Now you see images, so you know exactly that you're standing in the right place. Look at the right you know piece of artwork as the person's talking. Do you have to have a video iPod? You have to have uh, an iPod that has a color display, so a video iPod. If you have one of the old uh, photo iPods, or I think the the Nano, which has a color screen, those uh, will allow you to play those enhanced podcasts. Now, if you don't have those, you can still enjoy it through the uh, iTunes uh, <coughs> software program, which is a free download anyway. And so you can you can enjoy the enhanced podcast on your desktop computer on your desktop computer, be it a PC or a Mac, as long as you have the iTunes software installed. Let me ask you something. How have the podcasts been received? Who's listening to them? Do you know? My sense is that we have a lot of readers who do listen to them because our most popular podcasts are the backstory ones. And the backstory ones, as I mentioned before, are podcasts that take you behind the scenes of the stories that appear in the newspaper. And so it seems like there are people out there who um, are reading the stories and, and realizing, you know what? I want to find out more about this, and they'll listen to the podcast. And so there's there's definitely that audience out there. Um, in terms of like uh, specific data on the demographics, we haven't done any studies yet to find out the demographics, but it seems to be all over the map. I mean, anecdotally, we had one guy who told us, hey, you know, I've listened to every one of your food podcasts, but I have a hearing aid, and so what I do is I listen to the podcast in my car, using one of those FM transmitters. So, you know, we, we, initially we thought, well, this is a way to tap into the younger demographic. But, you know, older people are listening to these, too. So a lot of us who do podcasts or have blogs 
become addicted to checking the stats. I mean, we just have to know how many downloads of the new podcast we've we've secured or how many people are reading a particular post. You know, we, we look at the stats and how they're getting there. I mean, do you have any stats that you're consulting on a daily basis? And if so, what basic information can you glean from that? We have, um, we use a service called streamload.com and they host our podcast files. And so they offer daily tallies on the number of times a particular file was downloaded. They also count partial downloads. So, for example, we had a Bono podcast a couple of weeks ago. Bono came to our, you know, YouTube's Bono came to our newsroom and he spoke with our editorial board and we did a podcast with them. It was a three-part podcast. And so part one, the tally count was around, I forget, maybe 6,000, but that included partial downloads. And so what we often do is we take the percentage of that to calculate what we think is the number of completed downloads. And so uh, we came up with a number of, you know, roughly 60% to 65% of that number. And so... Um, so based on that estimation, we're being downloaded anywhere between, I would say, uh, three to 7,000 times a week with all our podcasts. And we average anywhere between, I would say, nine and 13 podcasts a week. When and you... Been, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. and we've been downloaded, and I think we've been downloaded roughly about, we're, we're headed towards about 100,000 uh, downloads uh, since we started in the beginning of July officially. Now, we, our first podcast was actually off-site, and that was in February of this year, uh, making us like the first, I think the first major daily newspaper to podcast, but we went on-site, you know, our official website, sfgate.com, um, at the end of June, uh, and that's where we started actually counting the number of, of completed downloads. Now, when you look at these stats, are you also sorting the data by where the downloads are originating from, and is that how you are um, figuring out that most of the people are, are, are local readers? Because, I mean, I imagine the Chronicle, for the most part, is a local paper, right? I mean, it's not available like the New York Times or, or, you know, not an, or the Wall Street Journal on a national basis, right? Right, not to that degree. That's right. So we don't. We, we actually don't parse it out that way. We don't. <clears throat> I, I currently we don't have a way um, to to figure out exactly where the downloads are coming from or how it's being con- consumed. Um, obviously, we hope to to, to change that um, in the near future. But right now, uh, the extent of our our, our kind of monitoring is really just the daily download counts of each file um, and, and and basically over time just you know adding those those counts to come up with a, a sum total but because the particular podcast the backstory podcast is doing so well and that is a podcast which goes more in depth about a story that is introduced in the paper you think mm-hmm. that obviously that that it's readers that are that are they're checking it out that's my sense. Um, you know, it's really hard to tell. I mean, we do get emails occasionally from readers who will say, oh, you know, it's so great to hear hear the voice of either your columnist or the subject of your story. I read the story, and just being able to hear the voice kind of completed the picture for them or allowed them to connect with your, our story in a way that they couldn't before. 
Um, and so from those comments, I gather that a lot of readers are listening to, to our podcast. But it's hard to tell because a lot of our podcasts, too, um, have national appeal. Like, for example, we interviewed uh, um, the hip-hop artist Apple Diap from Black Eyed Peas. And, you know, we did a story on him because, or a group because they were in town performing. But you don't need to read the story to have an interest in, in the podcast, obviously. And what was neat about that one, too, with Apple Diap, the, the artist, is that we did a version in Tagalog, too, because he's from the Philippines. And that's what's kind of, we're trying to be innovative here in terms of, you know, it costs us nothing to do a version in Tagalog. So we actually did the interview both in both English and Tagalog, knowing ahead of time that we were going to do a foreign language version of it. Now, um, one of the things, you know, obviously so many people who have podcasts do is they, they park their feed over at iTunes and at Yahoo Podcasts and Odeo and and Podcast Alley, and then, you know, a lot of the tools, specifically like FeedBurner, will allow you to look at where your subscribers are coming from. And me personally, I know uh, 79% of the listeners of this podcast um, come to us through iTunes. Do you have a sense of how it breaks down for you guys? I, I don't have a sense of that. I only have a kind of an anecdotal sense, which is not scientific by any means. I know that initially what was kind of coincidental is that when we officially launched our podcast um, this summer, it was the same week that iTunes, Apple launched their iTunes uh, with uh, podcasts, you know, podcast abilities, subscription abilities. And so immediately we received uh, numerous emails from, from, from people, from listeners saying, please make your podcast available on iTunes. That's, that's how they consume it, that's how they, they, they download it, um, for whatever reason, they didn't, uh, didn't seem like they wanted to come to our site for whatever reason, um, but uh, so only anecdotally do I know that there was great interest that we make sure all our stuff was available on iTunes. Marcus, describe your role as a podcast manager, as the podcast manager of the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question, because, you know, we're, we're an old media company, and so um, when we first did our podcast back in February, um, we decided, you know, we should do this every week. I, I'm, I'm the technology editor, or, or at least I was. I'm kind of in transition now. I said to um, the, the website operation, I said, you know, we should do this all the time. This is this is future. It's a lot of fun. It's innovative. And um, for whatever reason, they, I think they were just understaffed, and they said, you know, we can't really handle this at this time. So we took our podcast off-site, and we used FeedBurner, and we used Blogger.com as our kind of user interface, and, and so at, at a later point, the editors above me were saying, hey, we like what you're doing, how come it's off-site? And we kind of explained to them that, you know, that we weren't, the infrastructure wasn't really ready to support us, and so at that point, my role became really kind of an evangelist, the sense that I really had to go throughout the newsroom and even outside the newsroom within a company and kind of talk about what it is we're doing, what we want to do, and how we all need to kind of be on the same page here in terms of experimenting and innovating and thinking outside the news rack. And so while as a podcast editor, I basically do it all in terms of I do the recordings, the editings, and the postings, I'm doing a fair amount of time educating my own company about it. Uh, me along with uh, reporter Benny Evangelista, who's... who's 
everyone around here calls him the Podfather, you know, within the Chronicle at least. And um, and so we do a fair amount of educating and letting explain to people what this is and trying to get them excited about it and trying to get the newsroom to embrace it. Because there's a lot of old timers here too who aren't really ready or don't previously traditionally have not been ready to do anything online. So I can't help but think back to the late nineties when the NASDAQ was just on fire and you guys were literally in the eye of the storm. I mean, just surrounded by all these companies with these overvalued future prospects and all these reporters, pretty much everyone buying into it, writing about how these companies were going to change the world. Then obviously we had the meltdown. I've got to think that that play, that that makes people somewhat, um, Pessimistic about whether or not this is the next big thing, or whether or not it's just another, uh, you know, uh, pre uh, pre Nasdaq meltdown uh, casualty. I mean, when you're out there evangelizing amongst the old world reporters, just can you characterize, you know, without giving us names, just generally, how are they <laughs> responding? I mean, do do they look at podcasting as an opportunity or a threat? Well, first of all, you're, you are absolutely right. Um, you know, journalists by nature are skeptical and cynical anyway. And so when you come to them with a an online, new media, whatever you want to call it, type of idea, um, and given the history of what's gone on, they're just kind of rolling their eyes, uh, generally speaking. But I think what was different this time is that the context of podcasting is that this happened during a time when... Well, as you know, newspapers have been losing subscribers for some time, and this year especially, the, the news has been pretty grim. Um, and so, while you do have individuals, and of course I'm not going to name any, who have you know kind of said to my face, "I have no interest in this. I'm not. I'm not ever going to podcast." The majority understand that it's good for them and it's good for the industry or the, the paper to at least experiment and try this out because. What we're currently doing is not really uh, growing an audience. I mean, we put out a paper, we put out a good paper, we won the Pulitzer Prize recently, but the number of subscribers is not increasing, it's decreasing. And so I think people recognize that, okay, we got to try something different because um, numbers don't lie. What, you know, traffic to our website is growing, the number of subscribers to our paper is not growing. Um, despite what we think is, you know, good work. And so um, uh, what was helpful, though, is that the editors at the, at the top, you know, Phil Bronstein and Robert Rosenthal, the top editors here, they actually immediately embraced it. Um, when, we, when I made a presentation to them, along with Benny Evangelista, on podcasting, they admittedly said they didn't totally understand it, but it seemed like something we should do because it was just a different medium, a different channel, to show off our editorial content. I mean, it's part of that whole thing about, you know, we have to think of ourselves as content providers and not a newspaper in this day and age. So now you, you've been doing this a while now, a number of months. You have a lot of podcasts under your belt. What makes a great podcast? A good podcast, I think, <clears throat> I mean, if, there, if there's a podcast, well, two types of podcasts we do. Podcasts that complement a story that appears in the paper and a podcast that has no uh, no print component, and so I think if it's the if it's a podcast that relates to something in the paper, it can't be repetitive. 
uh, you, you want to repeat too much in your podcast what already appears in story. You really want to give that kind of DVD bonus footage extra kind of value. You want to bring something to the table that readers didn't get from the story. And so if it's excerpts from an interview, if it's uh, an, the entire interview uncut, um, if it's uh, the ambient sounds, um, things like that, I think that really kind of helps complete the full picture, complete and round out the storytelling experience. If it's a podcast that has no print component, then, you know, it, it, it really is just a matter of, well, what's the content? I mean, what's the subject matter? Now, entertainment uh, podcasts do well. We recently had uh, Mary Wilson, uh, one of the Supremes, in here just last week. And I think, uh, you know, that one is, is doing well. The Bono podcast did well, of course, because you have so many U2 fans out there. Um, the Apple D app one did well. You know, so we do see a lot of entertainment-related podcasts um, getting downloaded uh, some frequency. The sports ones, I think, do well, too. Um, and I think... I think you know podcasts need to be need to be edited. I mean, I think in the I was a line editor and the signing editor for many years, where I basically was the first editor on a story, and I I apply the same principles. You have to edit for content. You have to make sure it's fair and balanced, but you have to make it tight. You want to make it so, you know, people's time, especially nowadays, is very limited, and basically you don't want to waste your time. So you need to make the podcast my view, tight. Now, that may be counter to some of the more popular podcasts out there that go on for half an hour or 40 minutes. Um, but that's, from a newspaper kind of point of view, that's the way we view it. We want to make them pretty tight. How do you decide what print stories get spun off into podcasts? Um, oftentimes, we, we ask the question, what can we accomplish in the audio form that we can't accomplish in the print form? And so, um, recently, we did a, a package on the Golden Gate Bridge, how it's a big draw for people who want to commit suicide. Um, they jump off the bridge. And so we asked ourselves, well, what can we get across in a podcast that we can't in the stories? And so um, what we decided was, you know, we want to hear the people's voices. We want to hear from the families who lost a loved one to the jumping over the bridge. We want to hear from actual survivors. And this is incredible. We interviewed one guy who jumped, and he survived. And so we got him on the phone, and we recorded the conversation. And just hearing him retell that day when he said goodbye to his wife, and he drove to work but couldn't do it, so he, he instead drove straight to the bridge, and what he and he walked to the middle of the bridge. And hearing him recount everything to the point where he said, I jumped over, and I looked back, and I looked up and saw the bridge leaving, I thought, oh, this was a bad idea. I mean, to hear him say that, you just can't get that across in a, in a print form, no matter how good a writer you are, I think. To be able to hear it from the source's mouth, I think, has a lot of impact. What type of podcasts, uh, well, you, you actually answered this already, you know, what, what type of content, uh, podcasts seem to be the most popular. So I'd like to ask a, a different question. One of the things that uh, has been so great about and probably led to the success of, of, of blogs is the fact that there's interactivity. You know, there is a sort of digital conversation that ensues through comments and trackbacks and links. Is there a way to make podcasts interactive? And if so, do you guys plan to do that and how? We have been thinking about ways to make our podcast more interactive. Um, we haven't done anything with it yet. 
but we we have already set up a phone line, but we haven't advertised it yet because we're trying to think through how we want to do this. But in the same way that uh, you have people call into radio shows, that kind of thing, I'm thinking we could do something like that, or we could set up a voicemail box where people can call in and leave their um, opinion about something or offer us feedback about a story that appeared in the paper. Um, now, in terms of being interactive, now that's not quite fully interactive in the sense of real-time kind of give and take in, that, in, in the way I just explained. But at the very least, I think that's a good start to give public, and this is what we want to do on a larger, a larger degree anyway, to give a public a voice. You know, as we know, as we all know, you know, the, the whole idea of media, you know, I talk, you listen, that, that doesn't work anymore. And we have to embrace the fact that, especially with the Generation Y, um, it has to be a two-way conversation. They want to be part of the process. They want to be part of the discussion. And we've got to figure out better ways to include them uh, in all of this. And so, um, but one kind of immediate way that we're looking at is obviously uh, offering them a chance to be in the podcast to offer their comments on something. Uh, we have a feedback channel, which has not been too, has not been refreshed recently, but we're thinking that's how we might refashion it uh, to really give the public uh, an outlet and to hear their voice, too. Have you um, given some thought to how, if at all, to monetize the podcast? I mean, either through advertising support or having listeners pay for them or only making them available to paying subscribers, kind of like Time Select does with the New York Times. Right. Has there been any thought to that? And if so, what if you can walk us through that thought process? I um, It's a very interesting question because as a traditional journalist, as someone who's been in the print media for over a dozen years, I've never been asked to think about two things, marketing and advertising but especially advertising, because as we know, it's a slippery slope as a journalist. Um, you can get into a lot of trouble when you start thinking about advertising um, because you want to kind of keep that firewall up. But having said that, in the new reality, uh, when, you're, when a company, when an old media company is trying to do something new and innovative, oftentimes the supporting departments, marketing and advertising, um, are not up to speed. Now, I don't know what the case is here because I haven't really spoken to the folks at my company yet, but that's, I think that's often the case where they don't understand that just putting out a press release is enough in this day and age um, or just, you know, going to your traditional advertisers with the same, you know, kind of packages and bundles uh, will work in this day and age. And so because of that, um, people who are leading that charge in terms of new media content, new types of, of digital content, you have to think about marketing and advertising like they haven't had to do before. And so having said that, um, you know, I, I, I still feel weird about thinking about advertising to any degree because that's, that's, you know, that's just kind of forbidden in the old school way of, of thinking. But I have been talking with uh, various people about how can we sell ads, how can we monetize this. We're not leaning in any way towards a subscription. Uh, we are looking at probably selling... Uh, two ways, you know, actual kind of radio spots, those types of ads that appear on the podcast. The other way being, you know, uh, attaching images or, you know, uh, display ads with the uh, the page, the website page where the podcasts appear. Um, you know, we you can set up your podcast in a way where if you're on our website and you click on it, 
window pops up, and you can see, and a player kind of launches, but there's also room for a display ad. So we're kind of looking at those ways. So it's not really subscription. It is about selling ads. There we have heard, uh, and we have gotten some interest from, I think, maybe about a half dozen uh, uh, advertisers who are interested in, in our podcast, but they're not quite sure still what to do or how to, how, the best way to kind of uh, take advantage of this. So we have seen uh, quite a bit of research recently um, from the Pew Internet and also from a company called IntelliSeq that did a, a report with uh, Edelman, the PR firm. And a lot of this research is saying that, and I don't know, maybe they've been saying this for a long time, you may have a better perspective on this than me, but that um, for the most part the public uh, seems to be losing trust in the mainstream media. And uh, one of the statistics I saw that really sort of struck, hit me square between the eyes came from this um, a white paper from IntelliSeq. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-S-E-E-K.com. They have a white paper there called We Media. And uh, they did a survey on how people you know, trust different sources. And basically, uh, what, what this one graph said was that people trust only academics and doctors as much as they trust people like themselves. So now that we're in this world of uh, blogs where anyone can add water and stir and have their own website up there and be heard internationally, um, and given that transparency and authenticity and all these um, uh, ideas about truth are, are something that seems to be something that consumers are more sophisticated about than ever before, does that limit you or does that hamper your ability to use podcasts? I mean, do you think people listen to podcasts and maybe discount it because you're the mainstream media? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't get the sense that they discount. Uh, if you're talking to specifically about podcasts, I don't think they, they discount us because we're mainstream media. I think they still uh, despite, and I, and I do, uh, I've heard those criticisms or, or those, you know, kind of findings before in terms of the public uh, distrusting uh, mainstream media. But I think that um, the fact remains, um, if you put out good work and, and and people associate your name with good work, then they're going to trust you. I mean, it's it's easy to generalize that the mainstream media you can't trust them, but um, I think you, there's still a lot of individual papers newspapers, uh, publishers out there that I think by and large you do trust. Um, and it's, it really isn't anything new, I think, that we have uh, Jason Blair incidences and things like that. I mean, that, you know, in terms of plagiarizing and, and scandals like that, I mean, that's, that has, that's not exactly new. It happens, it doesn't happen all the time, but that's happened before. And but I for the first time, people now are becoming aware of it. Yeah, you know, I probably think in politics and in business and everywhere, because digital technology is so pervasive, it's so easy to forward information. It becomes much more difficult to conceal anything in in any right. aspect of the of it, you know in in as we saw in the um, in the war in Iraq with those photos you know that were taken in that uh, in the prison you know as we I think in many ways. Right, I think in many ways, because of the internet and digital technology, it has forced traditional media and journalists to really up the game. I mean, now you realize that 
if they, heaven forbid, were to um, print something that was, you know, inaccurate, that because of Google, because of search engines, because everyone has access now to this newspaper, whereas before it was only the people in that local geography who had access to the paper, now instead of, you know, being accountable to just your local population, you're caught, you have to be accountable to the whole world or anyone who has Internet access. And so I, in most journalists, I think, have upped their game, realizing that, hey, they're going to be called on every single word that's, that they print. And so, but back to your, your question about podcasts, I don't think they discount us because I think in a lot of ways they still realize that, um, you know, our job is to provide content, and that's what we've been doing. We're trained to do that. And so, by and large, we are going to come up, I think, with good content. We're going to come up with good questions. We're going to edit content that maybe, does, you know, editing that doesn't occur enough maybe in the, in the uh you know, prosumer, you know, kind of uh, realm. Um, we are going to get access to people that, you know, your average podcaster is not going to get access to. I mean, the fact that we podcast with Bono or Apple D App or uh, Mary Wilson of the Supremes or politicians or whatever, um, you know, by and large, they're going to give us access, but they're not going to give someone who's podcasting out of their garage that kind of access. So, Mark, Marcus, this next question, you know, I'm, I ask you this question as a journalist, not as a representative of the San Francisco Chronicle. I mean, you okay. as an individual are on the front lines of adapting and, uh, and integrating new media into traditional media. So, I mean, I'm not asking this with anything to do with the San Francisco Chronicle, but just okay. given your experience and your background and your training... I mean, what do you, what's going to happen? Where are we going to be in 10 years? Are we still going to be able to get print papers? Are they going to be, you know, just something that is uh, affordable by the elite who can, uh, who are interested in what Maureen Dowd and Thomas Friedman have to say? I mean, where are we headed in your estimation? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the paper, a newspaper will actually disappear. Um, I, I think that there will still be a newspaper 10 years from now. I think the circulation of it will be, the numbers will be um, lower. <laughs> um, I think the online operations will be subsidizing, I think, a lot of the print costs. I think it is that the balance is going to tip. The pendulum is obviously already kind of headed the other direction of, of online. Um, I think people, um, you know, you hear these terms a lot, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, there's, you know, time shifting and space shifting and I think people are going to become accustomed to getting their content their tailored content whenever they want it and wherever they want it and they want it quickly and they want it right and they want it uh, immediately and they want it uh, in whatever form they want and so we have to uh, the industry has to adapt and think that way Um, and so I think 10 years from now I wouldn't be surprised if people are if cell phones you know, I, it's already happening, but cell phones become a much more prominent device in terms of uh, uh, consuming media. I think portable devices are huge. I think, um, you know, in terms of the Internet and logging on and logging off, I think at a certain point in the, in the future, we're not going to distinguish between logging on and logging off in the Internet. The Internet is not going to be something you go to your computer and log, in, and log on to. It's going to be there wherever you go and walk. You know, with Wi-Fi and everything else, it's going it's to be embedded and integrated in our everyday life and reality. 
So when you walk down the street, you're not thinking, I got to go back to the office and check my email. Your email is there with you. It's just the device you're using it. Oh, I got to I, I got to go pick up the newspaper. No, the news is with you. You just got to you just got to flip open your cell phone and log on to that website or get that feed. I mean, that's the way it is. I think it's going to be. It's going to be news and the internet and everything else. That realm is going to just be pervasive, and it's not going to be something you go to. It's always there. It's just what device you use to access it. Marcus, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Before we wrap it up, I do want to ask one last question. Given that uh, San Francisco, at least by, I perceive it to be somewhat of a beachhead for podcasting, uh, you know, you've got uh, companies like Podshow up there. Um, I actually went uh, to a podcaster's meetup up in, in San Francisco once. It was packed. Um, so, I, final question What are your favorite podcasts? I often listen to, <laughs> actually, um, podcasts of my competitors, um, just to see how their audio quality is, what kind of interviews they scored, uh, how they're editing uh, their podcasts. Um, but uh, Make Magazine has a... Uh, th- Make Magazine, which I actually re- reviewed uh, a little uh, while ago, um, and I think they're a great magazine, and they do podcasts, and, I, I, and they're the ones who actually taught me how to do the enhanced podcasts. And so I would say that's the, they're my favorite. I, I have a lot of respect for them. I think they're very creative, very innovative, uh, and they have a lot of fun. And I think podcasting... It's, it's, called, it's called Make Magazine? Well, how do you spell yeah, it? Yeah, I, like, like make, like I'm going to make a cake. Make. Okay, okay. M-A-K-E. And I just, I think, you know, at the end of the day, just as an individual, not having anything to do with the Chronicle or the industry, this is fun. You know, this is a lot of fun. It's just, um, it's something that's innovative, it's creative, and because there's no kind of, I'm, I'm not following in any, we're not following in anyone's footsteps, we kind of can chart our own course and set our own course. And so this is, I'll tell you, I've had a blast doing this. Um, I, I have to say that in my you know nearly a dozen years that I've been here, this is the most fun that I've had, um, and this is the most creative that I've been allowed to to be. And so, uh, so you know, I, that, that's why I, I like Make Magazine. Uh, I think they're, they're they put out a good product. So, Marcus Chan of the San Francisco Chronicle, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.